Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to episode 322 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is now Wednesday morning on the East Coast, and uh, I am joined by Eric Cole to discuss the Atlanta Braves winning a World Series game. I say that again, the Atlanta Braves winning a World Series game. Hello, Eric. What's going on, man? It's uh, it's been a largely good night uh, with some bad news mixed in, but overall, I mean, it's just been so long since we've seen the Braves in the World Series at all, let alone actually winning a World Series game. So, you know, it was a really fun night, for the, again, for the most part, uh, with the notable exception of the news about Charlie Morton. But beyond that, you know, it's kind of hard to complain too much tonight. For sure. And we'll clearly dive into that absence of Charlie Morton, who is not going to be out for the season. Uh, brutal stuff there, of course. But, you know, the win is uh, obviously a headliner as well. The first World Series win for the Atlanta Braves since October 21st, 1996. That was Game 2 at Yankee Stadium. Uh, that's a long, long time ago. 25 years ago. Uh, that's a long, long time. Uh, more than 25 years, I guess. Because it's the 27th of October now. Uh, that's more than 9,000 days. And the Braves had lost eight consecutive World Series games. All of that is out the window. And, you know, essentially, this game was about a five-run onslaught at the outset for Atlanta, uh, and then the work of the bullpen. You know, Charlie Morton's injury, of course, sprinkled in there as he had to leave quite early, um, but you get 13 combined outs from Luke Jackson and A.J. Minter in this game, and that was enough. You know, Houston's lineup is very treacherous. They threatened a few times, but the Braves made pitches the entire way through and were able to hold that off, and, you know, obviously, if you knew you were only going to get, you know, two-plus innings from Morton, it would have been a little bit more terrifying, but the offense did its damage early on, and the uh, run prevention did the rest. Yeah, and it was weird, because, like, this felt, in a lot of ways, like, other than the injury to Morton, which was obviously bad, but, like, this felt pretty low stress. You know what I mean? Like you, you get five runs early. <laughs> well, and, well, Eric, Eric, come on. Uh, no, I, I look, I look, I, I look, I, I, felt, <laughs> I, I, I have roughly the same Twitter timeline that you have, right? So like, obviously, there's like, folks were stressing about just like you know what could happen, but it just felt like that the relievers were always kind of in control. Like even, like even like the triple to Jordan, which was like on a good pitch that like I don't even know how he hit the ball that far, but you know, like way outside. I mean, that's a big strong dude. You know, like, Matzik looked good. Jackson looked very good. Minter was insane over almost three innings. I mean, it just, again, you, you, it was, there were definitely points where it felt like it could have gotten out of control, but it was never, other than when the bases were loaded, is the, the one bases loaded situation where, like, things could have gotten dicey. But other than that, I mean, like, I, like, I felt less stress in this game than any game against the Dodgers, if that makes any sense. I, I think you're not wrong about that. Obviously, the cushion being what it was, you know, leading this game quite literally five seconds after it started, basically, um, takes off some of the heat, you know, having a, a, a double, not a double digit, but a multi-run lead for the vast majority of this contest definitely made it a little bit easier. It was never in blowout status, so it wasn't like an opportunity to like kick back and relax. But I, I tend to agree with you. It didn't really have that same kind of stress other than just obviously it's the World Series so there's a little bit of, uh, of heightened stuff there but we'll dive into all of it now and we'll come back to Morton and talk about at the end of the podcast we'll talk about all the fallout there because uh, spoiler alert there's a lot of fallout when you don't have one of the guys that you trust in the rotation but the win is now, is now banked and you only have to get four of them um as I sort of briefly alluded to a second ago Jorge Soler let off the game 
with a 105 mile an hour home run to left center field. It was the first time in the history of the World Series, which is more than 100 years, that the first batter of game one homered. Uh, I mean, what do you even say about that? I, I Honestly, there was like barely people turning the TVs on and the Braves were leading. I I was genuinely blown away that there wasn't a like other like I understand there were like other leadoff home runs from like like the bottom half of the first, but there wasn't that many. I was genuinely surprised that there weren't there weren't more and that they, that was the first one. But obviously, that's a great way to start the game. It was a missile, um, and you know it set the tone for the kind of the rest of the outing, particularly against Valdez, because I mean the Braves knocked that guy around the entire time he was in the game. Yeah, I mean. Valdez famously like dominated against the Red Sox in his last start in the ALCS. Like I think he threw eight innings, and it was no one throws eight innings anymore in the playoffs. Like not even the superstars do that. And he comes out tonight and just has nothing. Like he was nowhere near the zone most of the time. And but still, you know, the Soler breaks it open. Um, in fact, one of the outs that he got in the first inning was Freddie being victimized by a nice play by Jose Altuve on, on a hard on a hard hit ball that was a hit a lot of the time. Um, Ozzy beat out a single. And by the way. Free tacos. Got to say that. Uh, Ozzy Albee still yeah, second free base tacos. Yeah. for, uh, for free you, tacos Ozzie. for the world. So, <laughs> shouts to Ozzy for that. Um, Austin Riley then adds to the scoring. Uh, I can't believe this, honestly, but his double was clocked at 115.8 miles per hour. Uh, that was the highest exit velocity of Austin Riley's career, which is yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah, especially considering some of the home runs he's hit, right? I mean, he's a monster, but, human being. Like, he's a, yeah. he's, he's a massive, powerful man. So it was notable, for sure. Well, he had a couple. Like, that that one, as well as the fly ball that he hit late in the game, like, both were hit very hard. It feels like he's very close to being dialed in. Uh, he, unfortunately, the other three at-bats ended in strikeouts. And like, he had, like, it seemed like a lot of this very similar at-bats where there's deep counts, and then he just got, he got beat late in the count. But... I'm feeling a little bit better about my MVP pick, uh, simply because he like the quality of the contact that he was giving like was was top notch, and hopefully he can kind of you know kind of cut down on those strikeouts and maybe put a few more balls in play. Yeah, we will not talk about my MVP pick, which is now officially uh, off the table. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. It is not. Um, moving right along from there, uh, you know that was the end of the first inning because Eddie Rosario actually struck out. He's allowed to do that apparently at this point. Um, and then, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the bottom half, Morton, I thought, was not particularly crisp, but did enough. You know, had a wild pitch, having both runners move up to, you know, they had two guys on base after a couple of uh, couple of missteps. They were careful with Alvarez, I thought, uh, in the first time through, but a great play by Ozzy Albies that I want to make note of uh, to end the first inning. Um, and honestly, a lot of second basemen, that is not a out. It is a two-run single. And that would have been pretty big in that moment for obvious reasons. And I also want to say, great positioning too. He was kind of, uh, you know, they were shifting a bit there uh, against Kyle Raise Tucker. Raise the shift. Uh, and Raise honestly, shift. you know, it's I, I want to make I want to make sure that we do that a little bit because you know, as we've talked about a number of times on the show, when the shift doesn't work, it always gets lamented. But as Mike Petriello and others have written very well the last few weeks, the Braves have really, really benefited from shifting in the second half of the season. And that was an instance where. Ozzy is an awesome defensive second baseman, but I'm not even sure he gets to that ball if he's not shifting a little bit over. So um, that was a huge swing because it could have been tied at 2-2. And um, with that out, it's still a 2-0 lead. Yeah, I mean, really nice play by Ozzy to kind of get to that ball and get up so quickly and get the throw to first. And again, just kind of, it kind of speaks to really just the defensive turnaround from the infield in general. I mean, it looked, it was pretty dire there for a while. I mean, Austin Riley's like had like some terrible uh, defensive numbers and, you know, all, all the guys, it just, felt, it just felt like all these, like, ground balls were, like, sneaking through, and it, it definitely contributed to some of the bad batted ball luck that the Braves had early in the season. And they start shifting, and all of a sudden it just... Th- th- I think that other... I mean, obviously, the trade deadline acquisitions and just them playing better was the biggest thing. But, you know, that defensive positioning, like, that, that saves you a, a good number of runs over the course of, you know, what it was about half a season that they've really been shifting. And... Like it, it kind of has really helped them get here. You have to, you ultimately have to execute, right? I mean, like there's, there's not a lot of second basemen that would just make that play. Period. No matter unless they're like really shifted over. But you know, Ozzy is a very fast and and is a gifted guy over there if he can get to the ball and be in the right spot. 
and he got to it and maybe he made the play and it was end up being one of the best defensive plays in the game uh there were certainly a couple that uh were notable particularly one later in the game yeah for sure but that was one where i think it pretty clearly directly saved two runs which kind of raised the importance of it it was already a good play but you know the the direct nature of that makes it big even more so um in the second inning, the Braves tack on a run. Uh, a couple of singles from Darno and Jock Peterson. Dansby actually flew out to the wall in dead center field, like 408 feet or something, whatever it was clocked at. It was a uh, a long, long flyout. It was a home run in a lot of places. Um, but both guys advanced, and then Soler got into fielder's choice, but it ended up scoring. I wonder what you thought about this. It didn't matter in the grand scheme, but where, where did you stand on the on the Jock Peterson base running thing? Because he got thrown out at third base on a fielder's choice there. I thought it was a not great base running moment from Jock, but some others pointed out that, like, I guess that ensured the run was going to score. Where did you sort of fall on uh, on Jock's base running there in the second inning? Uh, I don't think that Correa was going to throw home. Me either. <laughs> uh, period. Uh, period. Uh, so, like, I, I understand, you know, who's running there and why it was, like, why it, when you look at it on replay, you're like, wow, Darno would have been out. But I just don't think he was going home. I think that he saw Jock and, you know, like, I, I think that, that, I don't think that play was happening. So, uh, I, it wasn't great, but if in the moment when you're, if you're jock and you th- the problem is like from our vantage point, we can make the assumption that Correa wasn't going to go home. Right. But jock may think, Hey, he's going to go home. Right. <laughs> so I need to take the extra base here. So I kind of understand it in the, in the moment. It's really hard, especially when, like when you're trying to make that, make that move. I, I understand it. It's a, definitely pretty brutal to have happen. But it wasn't something that, like, stood out to me as, like, some, like, crazy mistake or – it was just, like, less than ideal, I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. Agreed. It was not a hugely costly error, and I wasn't trying to flog him for it. It was just one of those, th- one of those things that you noticed that uh, I thought was a suboptimal choice. But, alas, um, Freddie then walked, actually, after flying behind 0-2, kind of a great at-bat there from Freddie. Um, and then Ozzy <laughs> – it's sort of a fairly routine ground ball. Um, they were shifting, though, and he ends up beating it out. Uh, that was a weird play. Altuve couldn't throw him out. Ozzy got clocked at 30.7 feet per second, um, which is uh, uber elite in terms of speed. But when he hit Quite that fast. ball, I think no one thought that was going to be uh, a, a hit. Like Everyone, I think, thought, at least I did, that the inning was over, and it just wasn't because of where they were playing. And Altuve does not have exactly a hose um, at second base, we could say, after that play. I don't know. Yeah, he's he's good at getting the balls. Uh, not good at necessarily like you know he's not gonna he's not gonna make plays with his arm. So and and, and the biggest thing is just like and Ozzy is doing this all night. He, he was just flying down the line, you know, like putting up 70, 80 grade like run times and you you love to see it from a guy like that who has been scuffling a bit. You know, he's had some had some moments here and there, but he was on base a whole bunch this game and really kind of like making things happen with his legs and. That's if when you're when you're struggling, like that's a way to get going. It's just like again, just like hitting those those softer ground balls and like make them make a good play to beat you. And you know Altuve again is good at getting to those balls, but he's not necessarily the guy. Like if it's going to be a close play at first, most of the time he's not going to be the guy that like is like the tiebreaker is that Altuve has a strong arm type of guy. No, uh, you know it didn't end up, end up biting Houston in that moment, but it certainly could have. Uh... <laughs> They did, uh, you know, Valdez was obviously, as we talked about earlier, getting kind of blasted around. Um, it, it kind of felt like the Braves should have had more than three runs at the end of the second inning. At least it did to me because they had 10 batted balls against Valdez and they were averaging like 98 and a half miles an hour. They were really teeing off. And given all that transpired, it was almost like three was like the minimum they could have scored. I mean, they obviously could have scored probably five-ish in the first two innings, if things have broken differently, I guess you could say the uh, the opposite as well, because that's always the case. But um, you know, at a minimum, it felt like they really teed off on him, got him out of the game fast. And whether that's positive or not, because of how bad he was, they at least set the tone by taking advantage to some degree. Well, I mean, look, I mean, like in the World Series, like no team is going to keep their starter in that's getting hit like in very long like it's not like well we need to save our bullpen for tomorrow because like losing a game in the world series is just such a big deal i mean so. they, kind of, they kind of did that honestly not not too too much but the fact that he pitched to duval in the third was like not that they had to take him out there but a lot of i think a lot of managers might, might have pulled him in that moment because he just i mean he was dreadful like truly 
I don't want to like pile on, but you know, by the time Duvall hits the home run, uh, which was absolutely smashed by the way, like in a line drive, fat, not your typical Adam Duvall home run. Usually Duvall like hits these like majestic blasts. That was like a ripped line drive over the wall, and at that point the Braves had eight hits, five runs, and only six outs. Like they were just absolutely annihilating. <laughs> they they really destroyed him. And and like when that ball landed, I just saw like people like diving out of the way. I mean, like a couple people were gamely trying to catch that ball, but a few people had some um, more interest in their own self preservation because that ball like the camera could barely get that view of that landing in the seats. It was re- I was genuinely surprised it was only 111 miles an hour off the bat. Like genuine. I thought it was harder. And you that. say only that that's a very very high yeah, number by the way. So what I, well, I, mean, I just I thought that like I'm like wow that's like. I thought that was hit harder than, than Austin's ball. I got true. Yeah, it was blasted. No question. I mean, it, um, it, it got it got it got out of there I, in a hurry as well. Like that ball was just uh, it was hit very low for a home run. And yeah, so uh, I have a I have a question for you actually. Go ahead. Given how bad Valdez looked, what's Houston's plan for him in this series against the Braves? I honestly thought about that in the moment because you know Odorizzi is the other guy they have who who pitched in this game. They could just start Odorizzi. Like he's obviously a long time starter. He's not been great this year, but I would I don't know. I mean, it kind of depends on what they think of him internally. Because again, he he pitched fantastically. A week and he ago. was supposed, yeah, Valdez was supposed to be their best starter. Yeah, with McClure's out, like he that's like they chose him to pitch in this game on purpose. It wasn't like they had to. They got pushed to the brink and they had nobody left. Like he's I think was their number one starter because of McClure's being out. So I. I don't know. I actually, I truly don't know. I, I'll probably be looking at that in the next couple of minutes just to see if they say anything about that as we're recording after the game. But uh, unless it's unless it's uh, you know Odorizzi, they kind of have to go back to him. But you can't have a lot. Of, if you're Houston, you can't have a lot of faith. If you're Atlanta, you got to feel pretty good about seeing what he was able to do there. I mean, just for one more stat, this is the first time in World Series history that a team scored in the first three innings consecutively in a game one of a World Series. Um, and it wasn't a fluke. Like they, they really, really jumped on him. So I don't know if you're rooting hard to have him pitch again just because of this, because they obviously had him, they had him dialed up a little bit. But he was missing spots. It wasn't like he was crispy. It wasn't like the Braves were just making great. So I mean, they made great swings too. But he was nowhere near his spots the whole time. And uh, the Braves have their own question marks now without Morton available. But sort of the Astros. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, the way that pitching is going to be handled for both teams, because like the Astros use a bunch of relievers in this game. They got they they stayed away from Presley, which is like both. It's good news in the sense that the only reason that the Astros used, didn't use Presley is because they were down by four runs. Right. But at the, but at the same time, like you know, you kind of wish that maybe they would have used him maybe if when the game was a little bit closer. Uh, but the the way the Braves got their five zero lead, it's not like they like climbed up in the, in the late innings to get there. Maybe there's a spot where they they would have used them, but unfortunately, that's just not the way it worked out. But the, the Astros did use a bunch of pitchers tonight, particularly Odorizzi, which makes their own game four and game five looking real dicey, particularly with how bad Valdez looked. Uh, I'm fascinated with how pitching is going to be handled the rest of the way by both of these teams. I understand that the the issues for the Braves aren't just you know, who's going to pitch game four and game five, but like there's roster considerations now because obviously someone's got to replace Morton. But overall, like I, this is going to be fascinating to be sure. It is. And we're going to get into that and much, much more uh, in the second half of this podcast. And then including a, uh, I guess a comprehensive discussion of what's going to happen with the pitching staff. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Eric, let's talk about Morton leaving the game now because he was struck in the leg in the second inning with a comebacker. And at the time, you know, it happened. People made note of yep. it. Like, but no one, at least that I saw, knew he was like hurt, hurt at that point in time. Um, it was revealed, I guess it was on the international broadcast, but not on the Fox broadcast, that both Minter and Chavez began to throw in the bullpen. Um, so if I had, if we had kind of known that, uh, maybe that would have been a little bit more uh, inferring that Morton was not going to be himself. But I say all that to say, uh, he. Gets a strikeout of Altuve in the third, and immediately kind of you know almost falls over throwing the pitch. He was limping, came out of the game, um, and essentially it came to light afterwards that he broke his leg, uh, fractured fibula, that happened on the comebacker. Uh, the craziest thing about this, and you know we obviously love Charlie, and uh, it's been a great year for him, and he's signed for next year, and uh, all signs point to him being back for next year. We'll get into that at a, at a later time and date, but. He threw 16 pitches with a broken leg in this game. Yeah, got and got outs. I mean, like he struck what? out Jose Altuve, Jose Altuve after sitting. The thing is, okay, second inning, yeah. he pitches through the inning with adrenaline. You would you would imagine, obviously. Uh, you go in. He goes into the dugout, sits there for 10, 15 minutes, comes back out, and strikes out a former MVP. And then he's like, I can't do this anymore because clearly he just didn't have anything left, and it was. I'm sure he was in excruciating pain. But, again, I want to say this one more time. Charlie Morton threw 16 Major League pitches in a World Series game with effectiveness on a broken leg. So, my suspicion, obviously the comebacker caused the initial injury, right? But my suspicion is, is that, and he knew he was he was hurting, like, if you're already putting, bringing, you know, bring up guys in the bullpen, like... Somebody he, he knew, clearly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody knew he didn't feel great, right? But I do, but since that was his push-off leg, I wonder if on in the bat against Altuve, because I think that if, I think if it was like as bad as it was at the end of Altuve's at bat, that I think what happened is when he was pushing off on that strikeout pitch, that something shifted, it made it worse, something like that happened. Uh, I don't think that if he's hurting that bad and he's like, genuinely on a broken leg like we didn't see him like really like hobbling around on the mound during the at bat during the at bat at least i didn't see so i wonder if maybe on the push off like again like kind of like you crack it on the on the the comebacker obviously that hurts obviously that sucks uh and that's why they got the bullpen going but i think that on that strikeout something happened on that push off and so that's not to say it's not amazing what he did but i think that there was like a sequence of events that kind of resulted in like the severity of the injury but uh, I, I don't even know what to say beyond I me. Mean, look, if, if, if I got hit the leg hard enough to break my leg, like you'd be carrying me off upon contact. Yeah, so what, what he did was, I mean, and, and it didn't look like anything. Like even the, what the comments I saw were like, you know, like, wow, what a kick save by Morton, you know? Yeah, like was, I mean, like no one no knew he was hurt, at least publicly. It, 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 it didn't look like it hit him super square. It's just, you know, a freak thing and... It really sucks for the Braves because now it kind of throws their pitching plans into a disarray. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the Braves really only have to win three more games. So I have a hunch that, you know, like some guys are going to be throwing a whole lot more than, you know, they would normally. And because you know, there's only six games, six games left in the season, win or lose at most. So, I, but I mean, to say that this is kind of makes things a lot more difficult. But at the end of the day, like Charlie Morton makes the start. And you win his start. Obviously, him leaving and being hurt complicates later on in the series. But the most important thing, truly, was you have like the guy who you really wanted to lead on in the series, and you won his start, which is a big deal. Yeah, that definitely helps things to be sure. And you know, 
Captain Obvious that they won this game as an advantage, but it really is in terms of uh, it's a short series and a lot can happen and you got to bank a win. Um, we'll kind of go a little bit faster on these middle innings because, you know, credit to AJ Minter who came in the game quickly, you know, because he, because he had been throwing, it was kind of jarring. Like, you know, usually if you got an unexpected absence of a pitcher that early, it takes a while for the next guy to warm up. And Minter was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> he just came in and threw. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, credit to him. He threw great. Um, give up a double to Brantley, but honestly, not much else happening. Even even in the fourth, when he didn't have his, his best stuff and gave up a double and a single, the Braves probably get out of that, if not for an error by Dansby Swanson. Um, and you know, just, kind of, just kind of a bad moment for Dansby. He didn't bite them, and I'm glad about that. But he just kind of, you know, had one that he uh, misplayed, let's just say. <laughs> in the, that was yeah, he, the uh, first he, damage. He, 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 he booted, he booted one that he was kind of moving towards third base and was trying to do too much at the same time. And I mean, those kinds of things happen. And to be fair, Dansby's been really good with the glove. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like, so like it, it, it's not something like I, I dwelled too much on, but getting two and two thirds out of AJ Minter, I mean, in this game was like, not, I, I didn't expect him to immediately do something like that with Minter. We even talked about it on the podcast that, you know, like Minter is a guy that you can get multiple innings out of. Uh, Matzik's obviously a guy they've gotten multiple innings out of. Um, another pitcher in this game that I'm not going to spoil pitch multiple innings somehow. Uh, it was, it was really good. So, you know, it's clear that Snicker has kind of the guys that he's going to rely on. Uh, I was just surprised that they went that quickly to having Minter pitching that long, but at the same time, like it was pretty helpful in this game to be sure. Yeah. I was a little bit surprised too. Not that they brought him in necessarily, but that they pushed him as hard as they did. But listen, it's the world series and I get it. Um, they could have gone to Chavez there as the other option, the guy, the guy who was warming up. But, you know, Minter and Jackson getting 16, you know, 13, 13 outs combined is just enormous stuff. And Minter was honestly at his best in his last inning. He got three outs in a row in the fifth and uh, two and two-thirds innings, as we just talked about. Fantastic stuff. It was quiet for the most part um, there. And uh, you, you mentioned it a second ago, but I guess I'll stay with this now as, the, as we talk about, you know, Luke Jackson. Um, Luke came in the game. In the sixth. Uh, and we talked about on the preview show, there was never a doubt in my mind that Snicker was going to go back to Lou Jackson. I know some fans were expecting him to not be part of this series or uh, rooting for him not to be a part of the series after the after the blow-up that he had in the LCS, but that, just, that was never realistic. We kind of knew he was going to pitch, but uh, he looked much better and also pitched two innings. Well, actually, you know, one and two-thirds innings. But Yeah, very close, yeah. He, he pitched... It was it was a temperature inning, which I guess opened the door for this. Um, it was a pretty breezy sixth inning, so they, they leave him in there. And one of the things about having the DH is that there's never a consideration to pinch in for these guys, which allows you to go a little bit deeper. That's a little bit helpful in this spot. But honestly, he looked very very good, and it, it's a reminder also to me anyway. And I wonder if you agree that it feels like Snicker really only trusts four guys in the bullpen. It's it's Minter, it's Jackson, it's Matzik, and it's Smith. And I guess Chavez is the fifth in my mind in terms of how he's been handled. But for three series now, I guess two plus series, it's been pretty obvious to me that Snicker does not want to have to pitch anybody else. He's going to have to at some point in the series. But those four guys are the four that he seems to actually uh, want to pitch. Well, I mean, yeah, just how they've been handled the whole time, right? Yep. I, like I, I talked about in the Dodgers series, like you know, people were just dogging Luke. And it was clear that the Dodgers had something on Luke. And, uh, you know, some of that was like, you know, like minor execution errors from Luke. But some of it's like they just felt like that they knew what he was going to be trying to do. And they were kind of keyed in on it, which, you know, is obviously problematic. But it did, at least after in this game, it didn't feel like that the Astros had that same sort of not knowledge or game plan against him. And it was a really the sixth was a really good spot for Luke because th that part of the lineup was three out of the four guys were righties. So, and, you know, it's kind of towards the bottom of the lineup. So you feel a little bit better about kind of him in that situation. And I actually didn't realize that Jose Altuve has had like such a bad postseason. Uh, and I don't really know what to make of that because like at the end of the day, it's still Jose Altuve. So you have to really respect, you know, what he can do. But it was kind of a good spot to do that with Luke because you, you go against, you know, in the seventh, you go and have him go against the bottom of the order and then you have him go against Altuve and just like that, like you're in a pretty good spot. Uh, I will say though, once I, once Matzik came in and you know promptly gave the, hit the Michael Brantley, uh, I've become convinced that if one guy is going to terrorize the Braves in this series, it's going to be Michael Brantley because 
he put on a hitting clinic tonight. He was really good. He is very good. He's a guy that we used to talk about a lot as a Braves target and for agency and things. We've always liked Michael Brindley. Uh, not not right now, obviously, but uh, he's very good at baseball. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the bullpen did its job. There was really that never that huge threat um, in this spot, like at least at least on the same level that it was in the Dodgers series. Matzik comes in, um, gave up a single Brantley, as you said. Um, also, a great play by Eddie Rosario defensively to hold him to a single and not the, that was not the only yep. play defensively by Eddie Rosario in this game. We'll get to it in a second, but that was, a, that was the first one by Eddie. Uh, it didn't end up really mattering too much, but notable at the same time. Um, we should add, we should add that the Braves did score one more run in the eighth inning on uh, Dansby, Dansby walked. And then a pretty hilarious play <laughs> for being honest, Jorge Soler <laughs> has this like swinging bunt. It was clocked at 37.5 miles per hour, which is about as soft as you can hit a baseball. Um, but it went between pitcher and first base and a reliever, Ryan Stanek, uh, went tumbling in, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm sure people saw this, so yeah, I'm not okay, going to yeah, try, we, we, but yeah, it's, there's going to be gifts of that one to be sure. It, it was an all timer. Uh, and that, he, just, he did not look at that. Yeah. He's that's, that's not going on his, uh, in his video montage about his career. Uh, that was a pretty brutal and frankly, I got a good chuckle out of that. I mean, look, it happens when, like, it's kind of a weird, awkward play. Well, you know, Smoltz, he said that, too. Like, you know, Smoltz, who I know not everybody loves, and I'm, I'm kind of, actually kind of the same. I'm not the biggest fan of his as an announcer, but it was kind of funny to hear him say, like, he was like, it happens to everybody. Don't worry about it. It's like, does it happen to everybody? I'm not sure that's true. Like, I'm not sure oh, everybody well, does well, that. Well, well. The funniest one was the play. It was a Mets reliever. He looked like he was like flopping around on the ground and like trying to make a throw while like like putting a fire out on his body. I've got a gif on it somewhere, but it that 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 was that 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 was the funniest one. But you know when when you have a play like that happen in the World Series and it goes your way, it feels great. But if it had been one of our guys, like uh, that would have been painful. Like that's how you they score a run. It's just like it just feels like you're snake bit, and as opposed to now, where it just feels like you know the Braves have some devil magic working in their favor, and you know that feels nice. Don't tell anyone. Um, but yeah, uh, you know later on, fast forward, they could have scored more than one in this inning, but it was first and third with nobody out. Um, Freddie Freeman hits a pretty short fly ball to right field, and God bless Dan- Washington. Yeah, Dansby scores from third. Now, one thing, Dansby is very fast. Like, very, very fast. Uh, still, we've made fun of Rob Washington a lot, but I don't understand why he sent him in this spot. I know you're trying to be aggressive there, um, and I, you know, you're winning all that, but with no outs, you didn't really need to do that. Sorry, with one out. Um, you didn't really need to do that. I don't think maybe. Maybe he just puts pressure on them. I think he's pretty solidly out with a decent throw, like it was a pretty bad throw. And even then the ball beat him to the plate. He had, he had a great slide. So credit to Dansby for getting around the catcher um, in one motion. And still like he probably avoided the tag by what? Six inches. Like it was pretty close to hitting him. Um, But the fact that the ball was waiting on him when it got there was an indication, given how fast Dansby is that you probably should, (laughs) probably should have sent him in that spot, but it worked out. Wash continues to be wash, but uh, I, I think he was, probably out in normal normal flow of the game he's out there but hey it worked i mean look you 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 make them make a play and more more importantly i don't hate that send when you have a lead like that right like yeah, that, that's, that's the biggest thing for me like if it's like a one run game and you make that send i'm like you know ron dude like i understand that you don't understand what a stop sign looks like unless it's darno running well the big but, the big thing too is that Freddie's batting. It's like you're you're in the middle of your order here. Like you're, it's not like you're trying to fade, you know, some weakness that's coming up behind Freddie. Like Freddie's the number two hitter in the lineup. Like you're the meteor order's coming up right after this. You you don't have to push the envelope that way. I don't know. I mean, I'm with you. I'm like I I I it worked. Completely understand. <laughs> if, if they had not sent him, I'd be like, yeah, that was probably the right call. Thank God he's uh, fast. It worked, but you know, Ron will send. Basically anyone. anyone on almost any play. Uh, and if he does throw up a stop sign, it is immediate do not try. Because that means, like, the ball is in the catcher's mitt. Basically, so, yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, we, we you know, can... <laughs> again, with a, with a lead, I don't I don't hate it. But I'm glad it worked. Yeah. We can leave that one there for now. I just wanted to laugh about that a little bit. And we did. Um, in, the, in the bottom of the eighth was Houston's last threat. Um, Alvarez hits a just a weird batted ball as a triple off the wall. Adam Adam Duvall 
did he think it was gone? I don't know what ha- I don't know what happened there. It was a, it was a very strange defensive play by Adam Duvall. Um, uh, Adams had a lot of kind of why did you do that type moments this postseason. Yeah, um, it was like he couldn't decide what to do. Pass. Like he was like, okay, yeah. there, there are basically two ways to field that ball. Like one is trying to catch it, and the other is playing it off the wall. And he kind of just did neither. It was like this in between where this no man's land thing happened and it ended up being a stand-up triple for a guy who's not the fastest runner in the world. So that kind of tells you it was misplayed. Um, it didn't kill them. Obviously they gave up a, they gave up the run for a grounder on the next play, which is fine. You have five outs to go. That's, that's what you want to do. Um, moments later though, Yuli Uriel hits a rocket off the wall in left field. I'm not sure where he got this from, but Joe Buck said on the broadcast that he was told it was going to be gone in 28 ballparks. I'm not sure if that was a researcher or something, somebody from MLB or something. Somebody said that, but it was obviously close to being a home run in left. And Eddie Rosario, yeah, they, 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 they they reviewed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they probably didn't need to, as we I think you tweeted about it. it took, uh... took way too long, but uh, it was close to being a home run. It was obviously not like completely ridiculous. Um, it should have been faster than it was, but ten seconds. Yeah. Oh no. Okay, we're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but Rosario had a great defensive play. Uh, he played it perfectly off the wall. He had a very nice throw to second base. Um, and Guriel just kind of inexplicably gets thrown out at second. Um, you know, this is not an Astros podcast, but I, I have no idea why he's trying to go second there, down by four runs in the eighth. That's just an insane thing to do. Don't run to uh, second base there. Um, I agree. And if you're going to try, you need to not slide halfway between first and second. Well, that was the other funny it's thing. Like, the, the slide it was, was, was terrible. Was terrible <laughs> the whole, yeah. The whole thing was hilarious and... Uh, but now, if I'm an Astros fan, I am losing my mind about him even trying to go. But the slide tops it off, which was funny. Um, Matzik was not his best, I don't think, in this game in terms of like just dominance. He had a couple nice pitches, of course, but uh, he got four outs. But a little bit, a little bit up and down, we'll say by his standards. He's been dominant recently. Clearly, that you know the game against he's, the Dodgers, he was ridiculous, but not so he, good today. He's he's allowed, and I mean like that that the pitch on the triple was like you know like off the plate outside and like Jordan Alvarez is just a very good hitter who's and unconscious like, right now too. He was the yeah, I mean, uh, ALCS like when MVP. He, when he hit it, I didn't think it was hit that hard. It would even go close to that far. And you know, <laughs> like, sure. You like that guy beats you sometimes. I mean, the, the pitch to Gurriel wasn't very good, but overall, like if that's the worst Tyler Matzik looks this postseason. We're he's doing just fine, right? Like, oh yeah, not 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 concerned. I just wanted that we say that out loud, just like well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he he wasn't he was not that good. He, he, he was the third best reliever in this game. He's allowed to be uh, for a second. Um, yeah. Uh, Will Smith was Will Smith in every possible way in the night. I thought that ball was gone. I, I mean, really it was did. to be honest. It was it was it was two feet foul. Um, and then. I will say he had to get four outs because he got very badly squeezed on a very obvious strike three that would have been the first out of the inning. Um, the umpiring in this game was truly bad. Like there were, uh, the Braves got a couple calls that went their way, but like that that pitch was not close. Uh, now he missed his spot, which is like kind of a problem that is ultimately on will in some respects, right? Like, you know, when you miss your spot, like umpires are just sometimes like just reticent to even like consider that the ball was still a strike, even if it's not where you wanted it to go. But I mean, like there was just a lot of calls that just went again, particularly against the Braves on like called. I mean, like there was a couple really bad ones on called strike threes. Like the one inning was like two pitches outside that like were called strike threes. And I was like livid. Like they weren't that close to being strikes. And, you know, in this particular case, it's the other way. And it was like a ball that was very clearly in the zone. He missed his spot and it was called a walk. Like just bring on my robot overlords. <laughs> I, I'm I, like, I'm, I'm tired of umpires, you know, just not understanding what a strike is. And on borderline pitches, it's one thing, right? Because if it's borderline, some, that's just hard. Like you're, you're, we're talking about a matter of an inch. You know what I mean? Like is the, did the ball touch the zone? And like, I wish they would, those, those would be called consistently, but that's hard to do. But like this guy was like all over the place and genuinely bad. Like the umpire strike scorecards on him tomorrow are going to be brutal. Yeah. I would echo all of that. And it, you know, for, fortunately it's not a focus of this podcast because the game was not as close as it could have been, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. 
Uh, before we get to like the look ahead stuff, a couple just takeaway things here from the game, which was you know ended up being a comfortable win in some respects. Uh, the offense was good, quite clearly. Six runs, twelve hits. It was really balanced though. Like it was not a star performance. You know, as we talked about on the preview show, the Braves were really carried in the NLCS by Eddie Rosario and Freddie Freeman for the most part. Um, and Jock Peterson early on in that series. Tonight, it was just a team effort. They had 12 hits as a team, but all nine guys that went to the plate had a hit, and nobody had more than two. So yeah. 12 hits and everybody has a hit. Like, it's not – that's pretty darn balanced. You know, they had two run, two home runs, two doubles, eight singles, three walks. You know, they just – it was a straight across the board, everyone contributed kind of night, which is which, – that's not always going to happen, but I thought that was, like, interesting because it had been so top heavy before that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they they certainly weren't all created equal, but we also saw like some even the guys that like their lines didn't look awesome, still like had like hit balls hard, right? And that's a good sign. You you saw some hard hit balls, and it wasn't just against Valdez. There were some hard hit balls that just ended up in outs later on in the game too. And you just have to feel good about where you know there everyone is right now. I mean, like Dansby had a hard hit in addition to his hit, and he gets on base with a walk which he's been a guy that's been scuffling. He also has had that really hard hit ball to the dead, dead center. And, you know, just some guys barely missed. Austin barely missed. It, it's, a, it's a good sign. I wonder, I, I wonder and hope that that will carry over just because this game was such a weird situation when, like, both starters don't, like, uh, they, they pitched, both starters pitched a total of a third of an inning. Um in the, in the third in the third inning so like there's this kind of a weird sort of like impromptu bullpen game and it's hard to draw too many conclusions i think but overall you like you'd rather see your guys hitting <laughs> as opposed to not and yeah. it seems like it, it seems like all these all, all these guys with probably the exception of travis darno who like you know he obviously had a hit in this game which was good but i, I don't I really think that like that that injury is really messed with him hitting wise. Oh yeah, he's not. He's, he's been he's been bad. I mean, yeah, he's been bad for a while. Yeah. It hasn't had to be a major top conversation be, for a number of reasons. You know, they've been so good as a team. The offense has been good in the second half, all that stuff. But he is uh, clearly not been the same guy, both for the whole season, but especially you know post injury and uh, it's a hole. I mean, he's he's pretty clearly their worst option um, in the lineup right now. Even though Daisby's hitting ninth because of Daisby's speed and all that stuff, but Darno is their worst hitter. You know, obviously there's some credit to him for, you know, not carrying, but sort of working with the pitching staff, and he's been praised by everyone for his work there. His run, his uh, his running game prevention has been not good in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, the, the framing's been really hit and miss, too. I don't, I don't really know what to make of that, either. It's just, he just I don't gets credit. Has... I mean, listen, at the very least, we could talk about this forever, but he's not going to come out of the lineup. We kind of know that, so it's like you're just kind of hoping. Oh yeah, no, he's no, no, he's he's in there until he falls over dead. Yeah, correct. That's he's going to be out there, and we'll see what happens. And maybe anything you get from him as an offensive player basically is a bonus at this point. Um, we talked about the bullpen. We'll talk about that more in a second. But they were awesome in six and two thirds innings after the unexpected exit by Morton. Uh, it's time though to look ahead, and you know, game two is much easier to look at so we'll start there first it's max freed as we expected they made it official earlier today that it would be max pitching in game two uh you know you gotta feel, you gotta feel good about that uh, he was not good in his last start i understand that but his playoff stuff's been really good he's been really good this year uh you gotta be good with that and houston has jose Urquidy on the mound in game two he's been okay this season not like the most prodigious talent but, you know, not a, not a bad pitcher, but certainly not somebody that scares you too much. Uh, clearly advantage Braves on paper in that matchup. And then, of course, you assume, at least I would assume, that's Ian Anderson in Game 3. The question, though, if they don't do that in Game 3, I have no idea what's going on. Correct. Uh, so <laughs> that, that, and that's, I'm, I'm just saying they haven't announced it, but I think everyone is assuming it'll be in, in Game 3. Because um, the thing is... <laughs> Game four was already a question mark. We, we kind of saw what they would do last series with a bullpen game in game four. They don't have a starter, quote-unquote, for that spot. But now you have game four and game five because presumably, and maybe you disagree with me, I'd be surprised if they were to try to have Max free pitch on three days rest in game five. Uh, they do not seem to like to do that. Um, in fact, they kind of give free extra rest when they can. 
So he does not yep. profile as the kind of guy, in my experience, that would throw a three days rest. Listen, if you're down 3-1 somehow, you lose the next three games, maybe, maybe they do that for, with the season on the line. But I think the plan is probably not to throw Freed in game five. So that means you have two games in which you have to piece it all together. Uh, I guess first off, do you disagree with me on that? And second off, what's going to happen here, Eric? Because we have to figure this out. Uh, Snicker, by the way, has given a pretty clear no comment on this. Like I'm reading people talking about this now on Twitter. He was asked about it quite obviously. He said he was devastated about the news about Morton, but was not ready to give any indications. He said they're talking about it. So, no surprise, but nothing has been publicly shared from Snit. But they have some decisions to make, both with who to add to the roster and how to approach those games. Yeah, um, and I don't have a great answer as to kind of what the plan should be. You know, Kyle Wright is obviously on the roster, so like that's an option for length, as is Drew Smiley, right? So the, I think that the best option is some sort of bullpen games for both of them. Uh, and maybe you like employ an opener to kind of set things the way you want and you know, then maybe you go with Smiley in one and then right in the other. Um, the the open question here is who is on the taxi squad? Like who because who's been yep. throwing? Because the minor league season's been over for a while. <laughs> and like who's been throwing? Like that like genuinely who's even still in a place where they can throw innings? And I think that's why like I, there's if if Kyle Muller has been around and is still throwing with the team in some respect and is somewhat stretched out, he is, like, in theory, an option as an injury replacement, right? Like, I think that that's theoretically possible. Same thing with Tukey. Yeah. Same thing with Tomlin if he's healthy. They're all on my list. Uh, you know, Tomlin is the one, like... No, don't, please don't do that. I have please no don't. idea what he's... I mean, as you as you said there, we, we don't know. So people are asking us, and I appreciate people asking for our opinion on what they might do here, but... The taxi squad thing is very important for you to say. Houston announced their taxi squad today, but the Braves did not do that. Um, And they're very private about that. They have been kind of the whole time. So we don't know who's there. Like Tucker could be even a consideration there. Yeah. I mean, mean... we're all guessing. But we we do know they have Smiley and Wright on the roster already. Um, You know, in theory, they've used Chavez as an opener a few times. In September, etc. But you know, the, essentially, there are two questions. Question number one is: Do you try to add a bolt guy in Morton's place? And I think the options are the guys we just talked about: Moeller, Tukey, Tomlin, uh, Tiger Davidson. Um, if you don't want to do that and you want to just add another reliever, you have Strider, you have Jacob Webb, who was on the roster last round and was pulled off. You have Rich Rod. You even have old pal Sean Newcomb. Like those are your, these are the names we're talking about here. Like they're not great options up and down the roster. And even Kyle Wright, like he's not. Kyle Wright hasn't pitched in a, in a game. He's only actually only pitched twice for the Braves all season long in Atlanta, and the results were very bad. And it was a long time ago. So him even being on the roster right now already pre Morton was like not a shock, but it was like oh that's interesting because he's not pitched. He's not been around. Um, and Moeller was much better than Wright was this year, but he hasn't pitched in Atlanta since August 12th. That's two and a half months ago. So, I mean, there's no great shakes here. And the problem is, well, among among the problems, I should say, is that this is not the in-between. There's no day There's no day off in between. This is back-to-back days. So it's not like you can plan and just like taxing the heck out of everybody with a day off next the next day. This is day two and day three of a three straight day day extravaganza in Atlanta. So you can't just be like, all right, we'll try to do what we did tonight and get, you know, 13 outs from, from Minter and Jackson and both day, both days. It's not going to happen. So I don't know. I, I don't really have a plan for you. I, I, I will say this, and this maybe is uh, my, I don't know, incompetence. <laughs> but if, if I have to try to actually use a guy in a traditional starter role of all of these guys, I'm using Drew Smiley, and it's not close. I trust Drew Smiley more than everybody else on this list. Uh, I don't hate it for sure. Uh, I, I could see a situation where they don't add – I think that what I would do is I would not add a bulk guy because, to me, you have Drew Smiley and you have Kyle Wright, and like for those two games – you know, those are your bulk guys. Well, I want to ask you this actually before I forget, uh, because you're you are of course the minor league guy among among us. This is a it's tough for you to answer in a vacuum, but 
would you have gone to Mueller instead of Wright in the first place? Like, I, I don't know. Um, but if you, from what I have seen this year, and again, I am not watching minor league stuff like you. It, it, it seems strange to me that they would have chosen Wright over Mueller from what I have seen with my own two eyes this year. But I'm, this is why I'm asking you. So here's – Mueller has looked worse in Gwinnett than Wright has the second half of the season. And this is why I ask you. <laughs> uh, he, this, this is true. Wright has looked legitimately very good in Gwinnett. I am historically very skeptical of any numbers that Kyle Wright puts up in AAA because we've been burned a couple times now of what Kyle Wright looks like in Gwinnett yes. versus what he looks like in the major leagues. Um, so I don't, I understand the move. If you feel like you need to make the move for a guy like that, I understand it. Right. I, I, I do understand it, especially if again, who's been throwing and who isn't like when you're in the world series this late, like it kind of comes down to like, who's even still stretched out and who can even throw multiple. No, it's a right? great, it's honestly a great point. And, and the thing is, the thing that scares me a little bit more about all of this is that they clearly felt the need to have another bolt guy on the roster before the Morton injury. Like they right. added Kyle Wright to the team now, before the Morton injury. So now so, you have to fill more innings. I mean, Morton's Morton of everybody on the whole roster would have been the single guy you could have bet would go the deepest into a game on the team. I, even if you want to have the Freed versus Morton debate, which I don't want to have today, I think Morton was the safest bet to throw five innings in a, in a playoff game that they had on the roster. And they were already taking a bolt guy with Kyle Wright before this. And now you're taking Morton off the team? Like, you got to fill a lot of innings, man. It's just... So, I think the reasoning here is that when Enoa went down, right, and he was off the roster, that, and they, that they needed another guy that could replace Enoa, which is what Wright is. Yes. Right? So, obviously that complicates things a little bit now that you're down Morton. But it's also, I think that that, how do I put this? I don't know if it necessarily changes the roster calculation too much, particularly with who's available. You just have to use your bolt guys back to back. So you have to really kind of hope that, you know, one doesn't completely implode um, and can actually give you bulk as opposed to giving you two-thirds of an inning. Well, it'd be, like, it'd be, it would also be great if, if Anderson could throw, like, six in game three. <laughs> yeah, or just a complete game or eight, something like that. Um, yeah, that would be awesome. But we don't know that's going to happen uh, based on the lineup they're going against. I'm going to say that that's unlikely. Agreed. Uh, I think um, considering how this postseason's gone, it's, you know, it's going to be the bullpen that's going to be carrying things, and you just have to kind of hope that your bulk guys give that to you. What I would do is... I would add a reliever. My guess would be Jacob Webb just because he was the last guy on the roster, right? Like, he was the last guy that was on a postseason roster. Now, in terms of upside, I'd pick Spencer Strider. Now, the thing is, one, I don't know if he's been throwing with the taxi squad or been throwing at all since he was left off the postseason roster. And two, if he has been throwing, like, has he been kind of just throwing bullpens just to kind of stay in shape so he can throw an inning? Because, I mean, he's a starter in the minor leagues, so... If he's like even remotely stretched out, what I think happened is as soon as that you know Enoa went down, that they got Kyle Wright throwing again. If he wasn't throwing already with the, with the taxi squad, my suspicion is that he was, and that that's why that move was made. Because again, that's just like a guy that was available. Yeah. But if, and if you really want a bulk another bulk arm, again maybe Tucker Davidson's around, and maybe he's been throwing. I don't know. Uh, I would personally wouldn't put Josh Tomlin anywhere near this Astros lineup. <laughs> Um, you know, no, but I, beyond that, my, my guess is there'll be someone like Webb, uh, and then, you know, with a bold guy, maybe Tucker Davidson's still around, or maybe Spencer Strider's an option. We've said it before. I'll say it one more time. This is a decision of a bunch of less than stellar options. I think everyone knows that, but it, re it really is not, uh, a great situation to be in. Uh, but as we said earlier, the upside is that Houston is also scrambling, on the pitching side. So it's not as if you're, you're facing a situation where the opposition is just loaded with starting pitching and you're fighting uphill from moment one in both of these games, you know, in both game four and game it's, five. It's, 
Yeah, it's not a bullpen game against Julio Urias. No, right? it's not. It's it, yeah, it's, it's actually a great, great way to put that. You know, Houston does not have guys that that terrify you without McCullers and all that stuff that's available. So, um, last thing before we move on to sort of the broader scope of the series, if I tell you that any of the guys we talked about have been throwing and are available to come and join the roster, whether it be a bolt guy or a one inning maybe two inning reliever who do you want eric cole who, who would you who would you choose to replace more on the roster if it's me i go spencer Strider. i knew I it like I, would, I would bet my I, life on I, that i would bet my life yeah, on no, that. that's that, that and that's and that's <laughs> fine I, I gave enough clues in that conversation to give you that clue I, that i just i want the guy with the higher higher velocity in terms of i i just think that that plays up more and that has higher upside of good things happening. I mean, like Jacob Webb, like, do you really want to add it in this particular situation where you're down an important guy on your roster? Do you really want a guy like Jacob Webb where you really only want to throw him when you're losing? I mean, like, literally, if Jacob Webb is on this roster, and this might be true with anybody, by the way, that the Braves add here, is that Snicker's not going to pitch them unless they're, like, losing by a bunch? Oh, no. I mean, that's the thing. He's not going to want to pitch any of these guys. Like, that's just, we yeah. talked about it earlier, but... I really, it really feels like Snicker is only going to use four, and I think Chavez is the fifth guys, yep. unless he absolutely has to. And at some point in this series, he's going to have to. And I think that's just what it is. And, Between guys being unavailable or or a lopsided game or whatever happens, he's going to have to use more guys. But you know, he seems to be comfortable with four or five. And and don't sleep on Sean Newcomb as being a guy that gets added too. I said his name. I want to make sure I said his name earlier. Uh, also, okay, I guess I I forgot one more guy that I didn't, I didn't say, and that, and that guy is Edgar Santana. He was the only other person I mean, on, that was sure. on my radar. They, like I always want to say all the names out loud, and they are basically everyone on the forty man, which is as we said, Tucker Davidson, who's actually on 60, 60 day IL right now, but might be healthy enough to pitch. Um, just seal deal a cruise. No, that's, that's, just go ahead, go ahead and scratch that one. Oh, off who else happening. is on the roster? Uh, yeah, Muller, Newcomb, Richrod, Edgar Santana, Strider, Tomlin, Webb is basically your options, and Tukey. So my, my guess is it's going to be Webb, but I would do Strider, and I definitely wouldn't do Tomlin, and I definitely wouldn't do Jesse Aldelacruz. I I think if I had to guess who it is, I would think it will be Webb, or it will be Muller. Uh, okay. If if yeah. Mueller is available, because you're you're, I'm glad you said it earlier. But I honestly, I would take Mueller if Mueller is stretched out, and we have no idea if that's true. That'd be who I would take. Yep. Uh, if not, I would take Strider. I'm with you on that, just for the upside. I just don't know if they're going to do that because wouldn't they have already done that by now? Wouldn't he already be on the team if they if they were going to trust him? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, so we'll see. But. Long story short, not not great options, and game four and game five will be a roller coaster. But hopefully, they'll be up three nothing at that point, and it won't matter. Um, or I guess it will matter, but it matters a lot less if you're up three nothing than if you're uh, down two one. Um, especially at, especially at home, the way the Braves have been playing there. Yeah. Uh, so we'll use that as the way to wrap up the podcast. Uh, projection models right now. I checked them before we are actually during during the recording. With the win tonight, five thirty eight has the Braves at sixty six percent to win the series and the championship as a result. Uh, Fangraphs, 64.4%. So basically, the Braves went from a slight underdog nearing coin flip to almost a 2-1 to favorite with this one victory. Now, one thing I would point out, I kind of doubt these systems are taking into account the lack of Charlie Morton. Um, so maybe that's, that's, that's a few percentage points that you might take away from the Braves because, you know, a system might be factoring that in. Maybe, maybe not. But I still think even without Morton, if you bank the win, you're still a favorite in the series. That's pretty obvious to me. And we, we both picked the Braves in the series, but uh, I guess how are you feeling now overall, given that they've banked a win, but also lost uh, one of their two as pitchers? I still feel good, honestly, because I think that, you know, they have, they have Max and they have Ian. And I think that more importantly, the thing that I talked about the most on the preview podcast is that with against this lineup, you have to have a game plan. And you just have to, like, again, it's bend but not break. And that's what happened in this game. It's just like, you know, like, they're going to get hits. There's You're, you're not going to contain these guys completely. It's not like the Brewers where they're just not going to show up, right? It's just not going to happen. So you, like, have to understand that you're going to, like, give up some guys. Like, there's going to be at-bats. There's going to be situations where your bullpen, the bullpen choice that you make isn't going to be completely ideal because 
everyone one through nine is in some respects scary. Towards the bottom, you know, with the catcher situation as well as with McCormick, like those aren't guys that like I'm like, wow, that's particularly scary. But you, you I respect that lineup quite a bit. But if you have a, if they have a game plan and it seems like so far that they seem to understand kind of what they want to be doing in most situations, except against Michael Brantley um, or against Jordan Alvarez, who, you know, they seem to be respecting quite a bit based on the way he's hitting. And frankly, I don't blame them. Um, you know, the, the as long as the game plans are in place and they're executing a game plan, like as long as there's a plan in place, then I'm, I, I feel very good. And it seems like so far that they understand kind of who they need to be careful around, how they need to be careful. Uh, we didn't, I didn't see a ton of like mistake pitches or like just not understanding what a guy is good at or not good at. Like it seems like they were making the pitches they wanted to make. And overall, that's, that's all you can really ask for. And the way the offense is playing against what I think is a very underwhelming uh, pitching staff, particularly on the starter side from Houston the Braves don't have to like pitch their brains out to win this series because all they have to do is really just make sure that they're hitting the way that they're supposed to against, again, like the worst pitching staff they face in this postseason. Yeah. It's a, you know, I think the Braves are favored as we both just kind of said, part of that's just the math game. You only have to win three of the next six and that's a pretty significant advantage. Uh, game two, you know, quite obviously is a big one in that if you go out there and win with Max Fried on the mound and go up to nothing on the road, you become probably like an 80 plus percent favorite in the, in the market. Now that doesn't mean you're going to win the series, but I think that game two is big because if you lose game two on the road uh, with your number one, clearly your number, clearly your number, your number one rem- remaining starter in Max Reed, like the one guy that you have actual trust. In. I know Ian's kind of, it's definitely a cut above everybody else on the roster, but there's a gap between Max Fried and Ian Anderson right now in terms of, at least in my mind, there is. So uh, I trust, hey, I trust Max the most. Ian's, Ian's postseason roster is large. Postseason career so far has been quite good. I understand. Uh, I'm, I'm, again, he's, he's a lot better than the other guys they have. I, I just, I, for in my mind, in terms of trust factor right now today, uh, it's Freed, large gap, Anderson, another large gap, maybe two more large gaps, and everybody else that's available. I was about to say, it's, 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 the, the drop-off is precipitous after, for, after Anderson. Yes, I, I would agree. But anyway, uh, you know, it would be nice to bank another win with free on the mound. I'm not breaking news there in game two. But, uh, Eric, it's 1.30 a.m. Eastern as we're talking. The game's going to be starting in, like, I don't know, 18 hours. So we probably should stop talking about baseball for now. But anything else that you want to add, feel free. And if not... We can sign this thing off, and please uh, tell people where they can find you if they're new listeners. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. It was a great win. Uh, unfortunate circumstances in losing Charlie Morton, but uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Leprechaun with a K. Make sure you follow Brad on Twitter, at BT Roland. You're going to get a lot of Hawks tweets out of Brad, but occasionally he tweets about baseball too, and uh, you know when he does tweet about baseball, it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I tweeted out my, my schedule the next week and a half, and uh, the gods have aligned to where it's about as nightmarish as possible. I don't have a night off from uh, from a sporting event until, like, next Friday or something. If, so, if you if you need me to lead host on a podcast... It's the World Series, Eric. I'm going to be here every night. I'm doing it. I'm, uh, I'm, we could all do it together, but I'm, I'm going to be I, I understand that, but I want it recorded <laughs> that I've offered it. We're not, we're not yes. just like caging you in a room. No, you're always podcast. you're always willing. Uh, and I I, I kind of wanted to troll Scott tonight because Scott had a work event, so he was trying to go dark and DVR the game, and he didn't tweet the entire game. Uh, and I was just I have Scott's phone number, so I, I thought about just like direct texting Scott updates just to piss him off. I didn't do that. I thought about it though. Um, what you should do is the only piece of information you give him is that Charlie Morton only pitched two and a third innings. Yeah, or or like, hey, uh, Charlie Morton's out for the season. Just that's all I tell him. Nothing else about the oh, game. That'd be just so say Charlie's good. out for the season. Uh, I, I, no. <laughs> I will say there's zero chance that he doesn't know. <laughs> like, I think like, he probably not... knows now. Uh, I do think that Scott is pretty diligent when he tries to do these like full on log offs. Like he think I think he like turns his phone off. Like that's how I, I don't much think, it's like. I, I don't think with the World Series you could be able to help him. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I'll follow up with him. In fact, he'll be on the podcast tomorrow night so that you don't have to stay up until 2 a.m. tomorrow night as well as tonight. So Scott will be a, Scott, it'll be me and Scott tomorrow night, and then Eric will return shortly in the series, I'm sure. But thank you, sir, for your work this evening. Uh, please follow Eric. Please follow Scott. Please follow Chris Willis, Demetrius, uh, Sean Coleman. 
everybody on the everybody. podcast, everybody on the talkingchop.com staff, everybody. Follow everybody on Twitter as well as reading all the content. We've had wall to wall written written stuff. I did not contribute to really any of it, but Eric did and uh, everybody writ, wrote a lot in advance of the series. I'm sure there'll be a lot more happening. We even posted something in the middle of the game about Morton uh, Morton replacements and options. So the fun and, never and stops. We'll ha- and, and, and Garrett will have an art if it's someone from the minors Garrett will have an article about who the call-up is and how they've been doing in the minors before that game before game two happens you can rely so. on that it's coming so yeah bookmark talkingchop.com also subscribe to this podcast via the platform of your choice leave five-star ratings and reviews and tell your friends and sincere thanks to everybody for listening to the show we'll be back again after game two and hopefully it is a similar mood in terms of the upbeat nature of a victory. We'll see you after the interview.